Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Lindy Bauer. Welcome to today's podcast, Seeing the Hand of God in Our Lives. We're here with Rachel Strong. She's recently returned from serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Rachel, welcome. We're glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Rachel comes from a, a rich history of missionary service in her family. Her father served in Samoa. Nope, her grandfather served in Samoa as a young missionary. And then with his wife, Rachel's grandmother, to Australia. And then her father served in South Africa, speaking Swahili. Uh, no, he spoke uh, like Afrikaans, I think. Afrikaans, okay. <laughs> and then your brother served a mission in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where he spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel's recently returned from serving in the Salt Lake City Mission, where although she wasn't in the exotic lands of her family, she was quickly immersed in a very diverse culture and opportunities to actually learn different languages. Rachel, you were first called to, let's just dive right in, you were first called to speak English. Um, tell us your story about how, how that changed. So um, when I got my call to uh, the Utah Salt Lake City Mission, of course I was like, wait, is there going to be anybody there to baptize. I was pretty sure this was where the church was, you know, started. Well, not started, but where it grew. And so uh, when I got there and I learned that there was 14 different language programs and that it was one of the um, one of the highest baptizing missions in the English-speaking world at that point, I was just kind of shocked. And so um, I was, I really wanted to learn more about my mission. So I kind of expressed that to my mission president that anywhere you put me, I'll be happy. Let's just do this. And so I uh, for a while, my first area, he put me in Wyoming, which was, I didn't realize was part of our mission. And there we have a joke that I learned to speak cowboy. And while I was there, um, I just had a feeling that I was going to be put in uh, a language program my next transfer. And I kind of uh, had the language program I wanted picked out. And I was like, I want this one because the food is good. And Which one did you pick out? I really wanted to go to the Karini one because it's uh, it comes from a village in Asia. And so they had like all these really good Asian foods and like uh, it just sounded super cool and interesting. Uh, but there was one I didn't want to go to. <laughs> and that's the, that was the Tongan one uh, because I I loved the people. I'd uh, My grandpa talked about Samoan and like that's kind of close to Tongan culture. They'll say it's completely different, but it was close. But um, I knew that he'd have to learn Tongan and that um, that language was just so foreign to me and different. Not that Kurdi would have been easier, but to me that scared me. And so the transfer board came out and it said that I was going to the Tongan area. And I was like, why? Because <laughs> I'd heard them speak and their language is just so, so different. And so I got there and my Tongan companion, she's like, all right, Sister Strong. Uh, they call me Sisita Malohi because that's uh, Sister Strong in uh, Tongan. And they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna help you out with this. And so uh, for a while, there was like, we'd spend an hour to two hours. They would just sit me down and they'd have me memorize different phrases and vocab. And there's only like 12 letters. So it all sounds exactly the same, <laughs> but it was, it was really fun. And it was a really cool way to just uh, be able to get involved with their culture in a very direct way. That's awesome. Jumping right into their language. Mm-hmm. Rachel, this seems to be a theme with you of choosing not to have something happen and then having it happen. Uh, mm-hmm. When you and I first talked, you, you talked about the choice to serve a mission. Can you, can you take us there for a second? Yeah. So, um, me and Heavenly Father, we have a kind of a funny relationship. Um, I make plans, and he's like, "No, <laughs> we're gonna actually gonna do the opposite of that." So, uh, before 
before my mission, when I was like 14, I decided that I didn't want to serve just because I felt like that's not really my niche. I was not very social, very, um, very to myself, but I figured social people go on missions. I'm not social. And I told my dad this and he kind of sat me down and told me, well, you don't have to go on a mission. It's not something that um, I expect of you, but this is a huge opportunity. This is something that not a lot of people get. Just look at the amount of people who are in the church who know the gospel and then look at the amount of time in history that women were allowed to serve, that um, your age group is allowed to serve. It's just such a unique opportunity and it'd be crazy for you not to at least pray about it and think about it and find out if this is right for you. If Heavenly Father says you shouldn't go, I'm all for that, but at least give him a chance to give you an answer. And so I was like, okay, of course, yeah, I'll do that. And so I prayed about it and I fasted and I ended up getting my patriarchal blessing. And my patriarchal blessing is very explicit. It's like, you will go serve a mission. <laughs> and so after that, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess this is what I'm doing. Um, Heavenly Father's got a plan for me and I'm going to figure out what it was. And so after that, I decided uh, to prepare for a mission. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then jump forward five, six years mm-hmm. and you get your call. And what what is your... <laughs> Before you get the call, what is your reaction? What's the, f- the one place you decide not to go or don't want to go? Yeah, so whenever anybody asked me when, where I wanted to serve, I didn't have a place picked out, but I knew where I didn't want to serve. And that was uh, Salt Lake City. And so uh, that's what I tell everybody, like, where do you want to serve your mission? I was like, anywhere but Salt Lake City. And again, Heavenly Father's like, I know you have plans, Rachel. We're going to do the opposite. And so when I got my mission call, I just laughed. I thought... I know he has a sense of humor now if I didn't before. (laughs) And so for a while, it was, um, I was a little upset. And just because I had these images of these grand adventures that my grandpa had had in Samoa and my grandma had had in Africa and my dad had had in South Africa. I mean, she served in Australia. But, um, and my brother who had been in, like, he went to the Mexico MTC, then got to go to the the Minneapolis, Minnesota mission. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, man. This was like, I have relatives in Utah. There was a point in my mission where I actually lived two minutes away from my great-grandfather. No newness to this land. <laughs> exactly. And so um, I was a little upset. And my dad, he took me for a ride a couple of weeks later. And he kind of set my head straight. He's like, Sister Strong, um, if there are people that I love in Utah. That's where I grew up. It's my alma mater. Um and if you're not going for them, if you're just going for the place, then don't go. Because I want someone who loves those people to go and loves that place to go. And it was very humbling. And I realized that, yeah, that wasn't going for the right reason. If I was going to have a grand adventure, I would need it to go to, to save, save souls, to teach the gospel. And so after that, again, I was getting my head straight and just, I went and it turned out to be the best place. And so many people there hold my heart. And I just love that it's actually just four hours away. I can go whenever I want. <laughs> In fact, I was there last week and I got to see like three or four families from my mission. And it just, oh, it's the best. Awesome. That's awesome. How did those experiences play out in the mission? So you, you, you head to Salt Lake and um, obviously there's a lot of commotion in the world and a lot of different things going on besides COVID. I mean, that's definitely a huge uh, one right now, but there was things before that and there'll be things after that. How did you see that play out in your mission and how do those experiences help you um, navigate those circumstances? So 
in my mission, I feel like it was it was just a lot that happened. Uh, it started off where me and my companion actually ended up uh, getting COVID before the mission was quarantined, and so we were quarantined two weeks early. <laughs> and what is the or how did it affect you? Um, I was like, I was I was down for the count for a little bit, just mm-hmm. where it felt like pneumonia for me, like, and I'd had pneumonia before. And so I knew that I would get over it in about two weeks. And my companion, she hadn't had it before, but she's she was a toughie. And so we just kind of uh, just kind of took took it running for the first two weeks just in our apartment. And then everybody got put in quarantine. So we're like, okay, we're going to get a month off because they said it would only be two weeks. And so we're like, okay, this will be nice. Just a change of pace and then we'll go back to missionary work. And so um, while we were there, the earthquake happened. Oh, right. <laughs> And so everybody... Where, where were you when the earthquake happened? I was in Sugar House, um, which was near enough that our whole apartment shook. Mm-hmm. Um, my companion, she's from Canada, and she hadn't ever experienced an earthquake because she was from a little town called Cardston, uh, just wide open fields. And so she woke up and she looked at me and she thought that I was having a seizure because the bed was shaking. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? And then I sat up and she's like, you can't sit up when you're having a seizure. And then she realized that she was shaking as well. And so I yelled, earthquake. And she's like, what do we do? I was like, find a doorway. And so we ran and hid. And uh, it was just it was a crazy time. COVID matched with an earthquake. And then the riots happened pretty soon after that. Right. And um, I was in the Swahili area at this time. And so we had a lot of refugees who had just come to the country and um how long had you been in the swahili area for by um, this time about uh, transfer and a half so um i kind of had a grip on the language but not really and so we still needed translators but uh one of the things that i learned was just to be was how to look out for other people in times of trial because for me personally that was the first time i'd experienced an earthquake first time I had experienced a pandemic, which I think is probably normal for most people. Mm-hmm. But um, the people in my area, all these uh, people hadn't, they'd experienced so much heartache and trial. And this was just something new and scary on top of that. They just got into this country. They didn't know the language. And so they wouldn't know who to reach out for help. And so uh, my companion, she's like, we need to call some people as soon as the earthquake ended. And so we called one of our um, one of our investigators. His name was Eric, and he was out in Magna, um, which was where the um, epicenter of the earthquake was. And we call him, and we're all worried about him. And he picks up the phone. And he's like, uh, "Sisters, hello." We're like, "Hi, Eric. How are you?" And he's like, "I'm good. Why are you calling me?" And we're like, "You, the earthquake." He's like, "What earthquake?" I was like, "You're in Magna." He's like, "Yeah. You didn't feel the earthquake? No. <laughs> Apparently, he had been." Um, like watching TV or reading a book and so engrossed in it that he hadn't experienced anything. But as soon as he found out there was an earthquake, he was so sweet. He's like, you need to call my aunt. You need to call my little brother. And so we ended up calling them. And uh, there were some people who were really freaked out about it. We called uh, another little girl. Her name was Amina. Um, And she uh, and her little brothers were like the only ones home and her older sister. And so they, again, hadn't experienced an earthquake before and they were a little freaked out by it. And so it was just, for me, it was kind of a blessing to be able to be in that area when that earthquake happened because I was able to still do missionary work even though I couldn't leave my apartment. I was able to still find a way to serve even though we weren't able to to get out and be with people. And so I learned there's always something you can do, even if there's uh, a major pandemic matched with an earthquake, matched with riots that make you can't leave your house. And so it was just... Um, 
the rights came later, much later, but uh, it was just that scripture that no unhallowed hand can stop the work of God uh, from progressing. And it's true, nothing could stop it. We were able to do so much in this little uh, little apartment that we couldn't leave. And that was such a blessing. That's awesome. So was it was it just you and your companion in that apartment the whole time? Or did you have other missionaries with you? So it was just me and my companion for about one more transfer. And then we got um, a, gr- a little greenie. She came. Uh, she was supposed to go to Denmark. Our mission ended up going from a mission of 175 missionaries to over 300 oh, in about a month, two months, because of the pandemic, all these missionaries who were supposed to be leaving. Right. And uh, so we And got... you were fortunate to get to stay. So many were mm-hmm. coming coming home. Yeah, that was also a blessing. That was another reason I ended up loving that I got put in Salt Lake, because I didn't have to have my heart ripped in two and go to two different missions. Mm-hmm. And so, and watching these missionaries come in who had served missions in other areas and how they kind of struggled to let that area go and know that that was a lot of them couldn't go back Mm -hmm, because they were near the end of their missions or they're halfway through. And it was hard to watch that. So I was really blessed to be able to just keep my mission. Yeah. And so I also get to train missionaries who are going to different missions too. So this girl, she's going to Denmark. And so uh, she was learning Dutch and French. She already knew French. In an apartment where people are speaking English, Swahili, Tongan, and <laughs> yeah. Arabic. Is that right? Yeah. So this apartment, we were just learning. I was learning, um, Tong- not Tongan, I was learning Swahili. And she, my companion was trying to learn French because uh, in the Swahili program, there's actually five different languages. There's Kinyarwanda, Kurundi, uh, Swahili, um, French, and tree i think it's called it's a very small tribal language and so there was all these languages we were like just pick one (laughs) and so she came in and she already knew french and that was such a blessing we're like oh my gosh they're like we could now have someone who could fluently talk to half of our investigators and so uh, that was just another blessing in disguise i'm so glad that she didn't actually end up going to denmark for the first half because we needed her so bad that's amazing Mm -hmm. it's so neat to see how the lord worked through all of this used everybody for all the right purposes. I have a nephew who was in um, Brazil and he was, he was sent home and then was called back out to Arizona. And he's recently been teaching somebody and the, the man has been teaching just keeps telling him how, uh, what a blessing it was that he, he was sent home and sent to him. He said, I don't know if I'd ever have received the gospel if you hadn't have come here. So that's, that's neat to hear your story of, of the way that, He's making it all work. You're right. We can't stop the work from going forward. Uh, Rachel, I, I'm assuming um, there are times still as missionaries where it gets hard. Um, what did you do to stay positive and to keep that focus? That, uh, that's a great question. So um, there is, I think one of the hardest parts in my mission was when I got moved from the Swahili program to the South Sudanese program. And so um, I was in this little basement apartment and so there wasn't a lot of light and we couldn't really leave it we could go on walks and things like that and then a transfer in and I was I was training again a new missionary and I was like how am I going to train her if we're, we're in a pandemic we're not allowed to leave our house I don't know the language and I don't know the culture very well because this was the only language program where I didn't actually get to go out and meet the people so I had no idea uh, who anybody in the ward was really and I was just super stressed about it. And on top of that, I'm not really known for positivity. 
<laughs> I like to call myself a realist, but my my companions would call me a pessimistic person with uh, optimistic episodes. <laughs> and so um, I, that was something I wanted to work on. My whole mission was trying to remain positive. And I was getting frustrated at this point because I was like, this is the end of my mission. I've been working on this my entire mission. You'd think I'd be positive. And uh, one time my companion called me out on it. She's like, you're being really pessimistic and I need you to be optimistic. You're kind of a pessimistic person. And I was like, I'm not a pessimistic person. I'm just being pessimistic. <laughs> and so, and she was the most pos- positive, happy person I'd ever met. So I finally just kind of asked her like, why, how are you so positive all the time? Even when it gets hard, she's like, I don't know. I just love things. Like I just love everything. And, um, I, it was at this point that I realized my mistake in trying to be positive. I just tried to make every situation positive in that like if it was a riot I'd be like riots are <laughs> fine they're, they're I don't know I just tried to make it okay in my brain instead of acknowledging that it was something that was hard and trying to see the good in it I just tried to make the thing itself good make it go away almost mm-hmm. yeah exactly mm-hmm. and that's not the way to do it it's about being grateful my companion loved everything because she was grateful for the things that she had and grateful for the things that she was going to learn from the things that were hard. And so I learned that the key to positivity is just being grateful for, for everything. Because everything's an opportunity to learn. The thing doesn't have to be good. You just have to find the good in that thing. And so I started a positivity journal, but was really just a gratitude journal. And I started having uh, every morning I'd start to, to pray. And I'd had a companion who recommended meditation for me. <laughs> And so I decided to get back on that again because I hadn't done it for a while. And so I started to meditate on gratitude and just really focus on things that I still had, even though there were a lot of things I felt like I had lost because of um, because of the pandemic, because of um, just not being able to go outside and meet people. And I learned that there was still so much that I had and there's so much to be grateful for, even in times where you feel like you're stuck. And that was the change after that. Um, I didn't tell my companion what I was doing. I just wanted to see if she'd comment on it. And she was like, at the end of the transfer, she's like, I tell you so well. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I was like, you. Taking full credit. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like, she was the one who showed me. So she she should have. What a beautiful blessing. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Rachel, I think that's fascinating, especially knowing that here you are teaching people who are from, you said, uh, refugees from Sudan, mm-hmm. the Lost Boys, horrible, terrible stories. And people who had amazing trials to to make it through, and here you are with people who are having um, experiences like that, and you're learning through your your situation. It sounds like probably similar lessons that they learned, even though things are it's hard, but to see the good in it. Rachel, what what's one last thing that you would leave with us? Um, one bit of advice, or for people who are trying to to also be positive while things are hard? Um, I think one thing that I learned on my mission is that happiness, true happiness is resilient. It doesn't go away when trials come. Um, it can feel like that at times, but you can keep that joy with you. And that's something that I definitely learned from from the people that I taught. Um, like you mentioned the Lost Boys. We, had, we actually got to teach a lot of them and a lot of them actually joined the church. But um, these were boys who had had to leave their families behind because people were trying to hunt them down and kill them and who had fled to different countries looking for help for their families and couldn't find it and ended up in America. And a lot of them had been captured and tortured along the way. 
And so they had, they were blind, they were missing fingers, they uh, their knees were broken. And I thought going in that they would have so much baggage. Um, and they, they would tell us their stories and their stories were truly horrific. But the thing that I noticed most about them is how often they smiled. They were the happiest people I'd ever met. They were so grateful for everything around them and they wanted to give so much. And the things that they had lived through, I would think that would have haunted them. And there were times where we talked to them and they would open up and you could see that there had been a lot of sorrow in their lives. But the thing that they'd always turn back to you was, but I'm here. My, my Jesus brought me here is what they would say a lot of the times. And they had this tender relationship. It wasn't just Jesus. It was my Jesus or my God. And uh, it was, oh man, I'm just getting emotional thinking about it. They were so happy all the time because they had this relationship with their Savior who they loved and they knew personally because of the trials that they went through. And so no matter the losses, they always had that. No matter how, how difficult things got, they could always fall back on, my Jesus, he's here for me. He loves me. And that's where happiness is. So if you're in a time where you're struggling, um, remember that happiness is way more resilient than we give it credit for. It doesn't come in ebb and flow like trials do. Uh, it doesn't come like sorrow does, um, full blasts and then not at all. It's It can be there, even kill, for all of your life if you just keep your Jesus with you always. Thank you, Rachel. You're wise beyond your years. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your heart and your testimony. And uh, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Uh, please stay tuned for next week for more inspiring stories. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Our hosts are the amazing overseer Kim Keller and lovely Lindy Bauer. President Keller's right arm is our project director and podcast announcer Casey Maddox. Our front line is the ever-ready Rachel Bauer to direct the site recording. A big thanks to Michelle Lundgren, who is the backbone project manager who keeps us all together. Our contact man to coordinate communications is John Freeman. Our technical life is given by Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, and Don Ricker, the digital platform manager. Not to mention, they both provided plenty of behind the scenes good humor for our happiness.